You're listening to The Jill Monaco Show, episode number 36. Welcome to The Jill Monaco Show. I'm your host, Jill. Each week, I hope to bring you a message that inspires, encourages, or challenges you to go after and live a life you love. Join me and my friends as we explore what it means to love God, love ourselves, and love others. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Jill Monaco Show. If you listened in last week, I had just started a new series with women in leadership, some of my friends who are speakers and authors and have some important topics on their hearts that they wanted you to hear. But as I was getting ready to edit those and release them, I felt like the Holy Spirit hijacked my plan. And so we're going to take a little bit of a detour. We are going to get back to those conversations in the new year. Oh my gosh, 2019 feels so far away, but it really is right around the corner. So I hope this is okay with you that I share three messages that are on my heart, and then we'll take a little bit of a Christmas break. And in the new year, you will be set up with some amazing teaching and inspiration. I decided to do a little series on something that seems pretty timely these days something that has been in the news a lot and unfortunately has been a part of my past. I know a lot of you have heard about the Me Too movement, but there's also a Church Too movement going on. And it saddens my heart. It makes me feel like um, in a good way that things are finally coming out. But I think that there's an important thing we need to consider, whether you're someone that has been um, a victim or someone who is just watching what's been going on, and that is to ask the Lord how to help us continue to love, for the Lord to help us know how to overcome from a place of victory so that we don't just get pulled down into this downward spiral into anger and bitterness and resentment and putting up our fists, but instead opening up our hands and and saying, me too, let me help. And so I wrote a couple of blog posts over this year in 2018, and I wrote one telling my story, which is actually just one of my stories. And second, I wrote an article for the people who are watching, what I call the bystanders. And third, I wrote an article of what it really looks like to go through spiritual abuse. And that's really for both people, for the victims and the bystanders to be able to identify what spiritual abuse actually looks like. So what I'd like to do in the next few episodes of this podcast is going to share those blog posts with you in audio form. So if you'd like to read them, you can go over to jillmonaco.com and click on the blog and you'll be able to find those there. Um, But I thought I I'd start with the first one. I never planned on telling my story. I've been silent for 13 years about the married pastor who was inappropriate with me. In light of the Bill Hybels of Willow Creek accusations and others, my heart is to help the body of Christ find mercy, grace, and understanding, not just for the women, but for people like Bill as well. My hope in sharing my story is that you'll have some insight into why the body of Christ won't always find out the facts. In short, I believe God gives people time to repent because He loves them. 
If you aren't personally involved or know firsthand what's happened, it's natural to take sides with the person you trust. I totally get it. I'm not judging anyone's choice. But I pray that you're open to being loving to everyone involved in the situation. Remember, they have families who are going through this too. The thing is, I've been accused of things before that I didn't do. And I've also been on the other side where someone did something and they just wouldn't admit it. In both cases, in both cases, I lost friends and it hurt my ministry. I had to put it into God's hands. It took a while, but he did restore everything I lost and the truth came out. I've seen threads on social media where people ask questions like, why did the women wait so long to say something? Or if an investigation showed there wasn't any evidence, why should we believe otherwise? Or why would God really bless someone with so much influence if they have been guilty of such things for so long? Well, since I wrote that part of the blog post in April of 2018, things have really changed. People aren't asking those questions as much. But I think there's still a little bit of wondering, are these women really telling the truth? So who are we to believe? And how do we know what's the truth? And in the midst of knowing or not knowing, what do we do? I'll try and answer some of those questions at the end of this post. But first, I want to share my story so you can see how complicated it can be. There are things that myself and the elders at this church did right and wrong, but I can tell you we did the very best we could with what we knew at the time. So here's my story. I had been walking with Jesus for just under a year. I was the worship leader at a small church just outside of Chicago. One Saturday afternoon, I went to the church to pick up something for Sunday. The senior pastor, he was there, and he asked me to come into his office to discuss a meeting we had planned for Sunday evening with the worship leadership team. I stood in the doorway, and after a bit, he asked me to sit down. I didn't think anything of it. He dropped some innuendos. He said things like, I've thought, why are you single? I mean, you're a great woman of God. He made other comments and asked questions that made me feel uncomfortable, but I shook that feeling off and answered his questions about my desire for marriage. I saw him as a big brother and thought he was about to say he was praying for me. Then he said, I've felt a chemistry between us. I froze. Nothing moved except for the tears that ran down my face. He asked why I was crying, and I told him, because I don't feel the same way. I'd been around long enough to know when a man was hitting on me. Before I was saved, I had to deal with a lot of inappropriate behavior from men. Back then, I knew how to slap a face or act like it didn't happen. But I never expected it from a man who preached the gospel every Sunday. I don't know why I didn't just get up and walk out. I wish I would have. He went on to say things like, I thought about if we were both single, would we date? Yes, I think we would. Or, I've always wanted to be with someone with brown eyes like you. Or, whenever I watch you lead worship, I'll skip the rest of the details. I went home, and I couldn't even cry. I was totally numb. I was sick to my stomach, but I still had to lead worship the next morning. And to make it worse, the entire worship team decided not to play 
because they were upset that I wouldn't let the violin player be on the team that day because she was unapologetically living with her boyfriend. I had a piano player from another church, a friend of mine, coming in to accompany me so I didn't have to lead an a cappella set. But I'm resilient. And since I was a professional actress for over two decades, I knew the show must go on. I also think my love for God and His church was so pure. I didn't want the congregation to not have worship the next day. I took it seriously. It was my responsibility. I was most likely also in survival mode. At one point while I was singing, I got choked up and had a huge lump in my throat. I continued to move my lips and just let everyone think the microphone went out. I pulled myself together. After the service, I helped at the new member luncheon. Then we had the leadership team meeting to discuss the worship team strike. My day ended at about 9 p.m., As I got in my car to go home, I started to shake. I don't know how I made it to an elder's house. I was completely in a fog, and I just blurted out what happened the day before. The elder said, I knew you were going to say that. I was embarrassed to share what happened with another man. I felt shame, and I finally cried. This elder was in his 30s and had only been on the board for a short time. His wife was my prayer partner. He called Focus on the Family the next day. They had a hotline for pastors who struggle and apologized that they didn't have anything for the victim. The next day, I went to work. I overheard the pastor tell my boss, the ministry director, I don't know what's wrong with Jill lately. I think we need to let her go. I went back to my office. I got on my knees and I cried out to God. My boss came in my office with a fury and said, what is wrong with you? I was scared. Remember, I was just a year old in the Lord, so I really had no grid for any of this. I told my boss what happened. His face softened and he said, I'll be right back. A little later, he returned, sat down and looked at the ground. To my surprise, The pastor admitted he said those things to me. But the pastor also said it was the enemy and he didn't feel that way anymore, like it was no big deal. But my boss knew better. Years before, he was an elder at a church where the senior pastor had an affair. Things unraveled very quickly in the next few days. Now I know I was in shock and had a traumatic experience, but at the time, I didn't know how to process it or know what to do. I didn't tell family or friends because I didn't want to gossip. I wanted to honor God and forgive my brother in Christ. It all happened so fast that it hadn't crossed my mind to see a counselor. And each day brought a new accusation. So I was just trying to survive. By Tuesday, the pastor's wife called me to tell me how I sinned because I should have brought it to them and not involve the elders. The pastor started to twist things I said and made it seem like I'd come on to him. He said he got the feeling I was interested in him when I shared the story of why my marriage failed. That made me so mad. I shared that because when your pastor asks you why you got divorced, you want to tell the truth. And honestly, it was the first time I was taking responsibility for my own sin and failure in the marriage. 
The elders asked me what I needed, and I said I didn't want to be alone with the pastor. One day, he blatantly came into my office and said, Come on, this whole thing is ridiculous. He wasn't sorry. He accused me of overreacting. I knew I couldn't lead worship again, not after he revealed that he lusted after me from the first row. I resigned the next day. The church was left in the dark as to why I left, and when someone asked me, I told them to go ask the elders. The elders decided to let this pastor stay on and preach the next weekend. Ironically, he preached on the fruit of the spirit of self-control. I must give credit to the elder board. They didn't know what to do, and yet they supported me the best they could. The elders gave me a small severance. Some of their wives reached out to me, and one thanked me for not having an affair with the pastor. I understood they couldn't be there for me, and it could have been much worse without their support. In the next few months, I was called into a meeting with someone from the Baptist Association. I think that was the name of it. I went because they said they needed to hear the details firsthand in order to help the senior pastor and his wife. I wanted to be a part of whatever healing they or the church needed, but it ended up being like I was on trial without an attorney. I was grilled on every accusation and asked to recount every part I had been trying to forget. Can you even imagine the scene? I was one woman in a room full of men. The pastor snickered and rolled his eyes as I retold the things he said and did that day. The association guy told the elders not to admit fault because I could sue them because I had it all written down in my journal. Granted, the elders were not against me, but I was re-traumatized and I was so confused. I finally went to go see a biblical counselor. She didn't say a word the whole time. She listened. Then she sent me away with a pamphlet on forgiveness. I wasn't struggling with forgiveness. Honestly, I was praying for mercy for the senior pastor, and truly, I wasn't mad at him. I was sad for him and his marriage. I just wanted a safe place to cry and share how I was hurting and have someone offer compassion or advise me on what to do. It's not a surprise that I couldn't find another job quickly. I was broken. But worse than that, I didn't know what to say about why I left my previous position. Six months later, they decided to tell the church. They asked me to attend a meeting where they planned on explaining to the body why I left and the senior pastor was going to apologize. I knew details were not going to be shared, but I was also told there would be repentance. The senior pastor said, from what I've been told, I was inappropriate. I was completely blindsided. The elders were surprised and unhappy about his speech, too. He spoke like a politician, and it felt like a well-polished sermon without any truth. Then I had to endure the woman in the pew in front of me, who turned around pointed a finger at me, and yelled, What did you do? That wasn't the worst part of the story. To me, the worst part was after that last meeting. The senior pastor continued to do things. Other women came out with similar stories. He ended up being fired and moving out of state to pastor a different church. 
And from what I heard, this church dwindled to about 20 attendees. I didn't want to ruin the pastor's life or expose him to the church. I wanted him to get the help he needed. He needed help with his marriage, his lust, his lying, and his unrepentant heart. I wanted nothing more than for him to be able to find healing and continue to fulfill his calling. As believers, we should be the example to the world. We can make mistakes. We can repent. And after a time of counseling or whatever else needs to be done, we can be restored and continue to serve God. I'm not sure I ever saw repentance from this pastor. I never received an apology. But I do pray he's thriving in his relationship with God. I want to share a little bit about why women don't come forward. When this happens to you, it is the hardest thing to process. When you've admired a man and he violates your boundaries, it's hard to think clearly about what to do, especially when the list of consequences are so overwhelming, it can erupt like an active volcano. You never know what will happen, and there's a real chance you could lose everything. I mean everything. There's fear of being fired for saying no, or fear from how the spouse, family members, or close friends will respond. Will they even believe you? When you confront a predator, they most often will get defensive and twist the truth. If they're a person of influence, you are even more concerned about your future. They can ruin your reputation. You can lose friends, relationships, or community. You can lose security and income. And you fear being blamed for doing something to cause it. Sometimes the process of going through confrontation, meetings, and going over the incident again takes a lot out of your life. It can drain you emotionally and physically. Depending on what's going on, it may be better for the woman and her family to just move on. This is especially the case if the man is powerful, if you think it's an isolated incident, or they apologize to you. But sometimes, It's just not what you want to go through publicly. I'm not saying that it's right, but it is one reason why women don't come forward. But a delay in coming forward doesn't mean they're making it up. Just because there isn't any evidence to prove an inappropriate conversation or touch doesn't mean it didn't happen. I mean, it's not like we think about getting out our phone or taking a video or a picture at that moment. All we can think about is making it stop as quickly as possible. For me, I froze, but there have been other times I've pretended I didn't hear the sexual comment or just got out of there. I can't believe I'm even addressing this question, but yes, investigate. But the hard proof isn't what you'll find in these cases. So let's stop using that as a reason not to believe women. And just because someone is anointed or has a thriving ministry doesn't mean they're walking in close relationship with God. The gifts and the calling are irrevocable. I know there have been times in my ministry where I am completely burned out, and yet God still uses me and does awesome things. It stinks to admit that, but it's true. I also know that when I'm tired, I'm most likely to fall to sin. And I can only imagine the bigger the ministry, the more you have to keep up and lose. I can see why someone with a prominent ministry would lie about inappropriate behavior. They have a lot to lose. But pride does come before the fall. The truth always comes out. Personally, I'd rather lose the admiration of man if it meant I'd be right with God. If it's been made public, 
we can move forward in our lives, but we shouldn't quote unquote move on and forget about the issue and just let it go. And the person that needs to heal shouldn't be left to fight for truth alone. The person who is inappropriate needs to heal too, just in a different way. To not deal with it means to hurt the church or maybe hurt the next woman who comes along. But do we really want unrepentant leaders discipling us? The body of Christ is not Hollywood. We can't just let things go and pick up with the next piece of gossip. Every unresolved or hidden sin leaves a door open to the enemy to attack believers and the church. If we love the church, we fight for her, even when she wants us to go away. Throwing stones isn't the way to resolve it, but fighting for love is God's way. It may seem violent to love someone into repentance, but the cross demonstrated that's effectiveness. It must be dealt with, but it doesn't mean the public needs to be a part of that. How to respond to the offender. This has been a very long post, so maybe I'll write more on this someday, but I've had more than one experience with a spiritual leader who was inappropriate, so unfortunately, I've learned a lot. But if I had to say one thing, it would be this. Love anyway. I think of Romans 2.4 that says, His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. If someone offends me, I want to be kind. If kindness leads me to repent to God, then why not offer the same opportunity to others? If they don't repent, we can still walk in forgiveness, kindness, and love. I think there is some confusion about how we forgive, but still choose to be separated from someone or their ministry. Forgiveness isn't the same as reconciliation. We can forgive, but we don't go back to the way the relationship was before until they've repented, and even sometimes not even after. See, even then, trust takes time to get back, and the fruit of repentance needs to be seen first. The offender needs prayer because, let's be honest, they're not okay with God. I asked God about how to pray for the senior pastor, so I prayed for him to draw near to God because he wasn't close to God when he did that to me. By the time he said something to me, he'd been meditating on it for some time, and as long as he wouldn't repent, he was still turning from God. See, they can't fulfill their calling if they aren't willing to humble themselves, say they're sorry, and ask for forgiveness. That's a really big deal, and I don't want anyone to miss their destiny. I think about how Stephen used his last breath to pray for those who were stoning him. He prayed mercy on them. Have you ever thought about who Stephen was praying for? Saul, who became Paul. Saul, can you believe that? Stephen prayed, and we got all the blessings of the Apostle Paul. See, they are under attack too, but by an enemy they cannot see. And we need to pray for them to be back into right relationship with God because future generations may depend on it. In closing, I can't say why other women don't share their stories right away or ever, but if you haven't gone through it, please don't blame them for their process. That is part of the reason they don't come forward. Have compassion for what we've gone through. It often takes time and money to heal spiritually and emotionally. They have to consider all outcomes and weigh it. How will it affect their families, their jobs, their health? You can't even imagine the consequences they are dealing with because of someone else's sin. In the same way, 
If someone doesn't repent, we need to trust that God has them in process too. We're all a work in progress, and God's love is for everyone. Let's not get in a tizzy over where someone is in their process. Predator, offender, victim, accuser, liar, whatever name you put on them isn't who they are in Christ. They were made for better than their behavior, and they aren't there yet. They may be broken, but they are not beyond restoration. Walk your path. Do your journey. Be faithful in prayer. God will heal the brokenhearted, set captives free, and restore all that was lost or stolen. Be at peace, my friends. The truth will come out. I hope that you found this episode of The Jill Monaco Show insightful. It's definitely different than what I've done before. And in the next two episodes, I'll be sharing more of what I have to say to the bystanders and how to process it all. And then also, for those of you that may be bystanders or maybe victims, or maybe you're not sure, I'm going to share a post on the signs of spiritual abuse, because that's a little bit different than a sexual abuse, but it's still a Me Too, Church Too issue. I hope this episode of The Jill Monaco Show ministered to you today. I know it's a little different than I normally do. If you'd like to learn more or read this, you can go to jillmonaco.com and find more information in the show notes. You know, you could also leave me a comment there and let me know your thoughts on this podcast. I will interact with every single comment that's left. And so you don't miss that future episode of the show. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or follow me on social media. And if you were encouraged or even challenged, please share this podcast with your friends. You can tag me at Jill Monaco so I can continue the conversation with you. Well, thank you for tuning in today, my friends. And remember, love well. You are made for it.